0: You're listening to The Young Baptist Podcast, a show that exists to call believers to committed faithfulness to God's word, to equip Christians by answering the tough questions that need to be asked, and to challenge churches on everything that distracts us from the beauty and glory of Christ. Now, here's your hosts, Clay Maynard and Josh Johnson.
1: Thank you for listening to the Young Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you've chosen to spend your time with us today. We're just a couple of young leaders who care about the future of the church. And we want to bring a fresh perspective on the issues in light of God's word. I'm Clay Maynard, and I'm here with my co-host, Josh Johnson. How's it going, Josh? It's going good, Clay. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. You know, I just started reading Gentle and Lowly. Excellent by, book, yeah, by Dane Ortland, okay, so for our listeners, Josh actually won a book giveaway yeah. on the Brian Sams podcast, yep, Brian Sams
2: on I, I don't know what episode it is, but he listed his top ten books for twenty twenty, and at the end of it, he was like, "If you rate, review, and share,
1: you get a free book, and I like books, so
2: yeah, <laughs> I went for it,
1: oh, and Josh, you like books, but you are such a good friend, oh because thanks, instead Clay. of getting another book that you would have enjoyed, I'm sure you got me a Kindle version of Gentle and Lonely by Dana Orland. And I've been wanting to read this book. Uh, Josh, you've completed the book, correct? Yeah? Mm-hmm. All the way through. Yeah. And I've heard so many good things about this book. So I was really excited to get it. And I started it actually last night. I'm reading it out loud to my wife. It's something that we enjoy doing when it's a really good book that we're excited about. We'll actually read it together. I'll read it out loud to for both of us. And I can already tell, man, we read the intro and the first chapter last night and I can already tell this is going to be just a phenomenal book and we're we're really excited already. What I love about Gentle gentle and
2: Lowly is it's not anything you don't know. It's not like, oh man, this is groundbreaking truth. You know what I mean? This is all stuff that you know about Christ, but I think we get so comfortable and so familiar with who Christ is that it's good to be reminded of the the heart of Christ. Towards well, us.
1: yeah, Josh, and you, you say we know this stuff. It's true that we intellectually know it, but I think one of the biggest points of the book, I don't want to spoil the book. Everyone should go buy it. I can already tell you that. It's not focused so much on the intellectual exercise of knowing things about Christ. It's about really understanding his heart. And that's an amazing thing. And so while we intellectually know everything this book is going to say already, we don't live on an emotional, on a practical, at a heart level in these truths
2: enough. Well, and I, I can share this part from the the conclusion because it's not going to really spoil anything. He says in the very, the very last chapter in the conclusion, these truths, a lot of times when we read Christian books, not the Bible, because obviously when we read the Bible, we're looking for that practical application. When we read Christian books, we're like, okay, how do I take this and apply that to my life? And that's fine. And that's good. And you should do that. But he makes a very good point in the conclusion of the book this book that we're, that we're talking about, Gentle and Lowly, the information in this book, it's not one of those books that you're like, okay, how do I apply this to my life? No, it's more like if you're an Eskimo, like he says in the book, if you're an Eskimo uh, and you go on a vacation to the beach, you're not going to sit in your hotel and be like, how can I enjoy the sun that is outside? Mm. You just go outside and you bask in it and you just enjoy it. And I, the truths of this book and I don't want to make it sound like it's up there with scripture or anything, but the truths of this book are just truths that you bask in, Mm -hmm. that you soak up, that you allow to transform your mind. And I got to be honest, we're recording this on January 16th. It took me a little more than 16 days to read the book. And the last 16 days, I don't know that I've spent as much time focused on who Christ is and the heart of Christ and it's changed how I'm reading the New Testament. Mm. Like I, I've been reading in the book of Luke this year so far. When I read the book of Luke, I just can't, I can't help but see the heart of Christ that Ortland is trying to expose to us. It, it's just like, how have I missed this for all of these years? Yeah. It's,
1: it's drawing your attention, not just to the facts of Jesus's life, but to his heart. It's you're, you're seeing his heart as he acts, yeah. not just what he did. Absolutely. It's so awesome. Well, look, if you don't, if you don't have this book, go get it. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. Um, I'm sure you'll be blessed by it. Speaking of books, we are going to have a bookshelf on our website. And on that note, we have a website. Yes, we do. You should go look at it. TheYoungBaptistPodcast.com. Yes. TheYoungBaptistPodcast.com. So the website just has basic information on it right now, but one cool feature that we're going to be adding, and by the time you hear this podcast, this will be part of the website. So you If you're listening right now, you can go see this right now. And that is The Bookshelf, which each of our guests, you are going to hear us ask them what they recommend. What do they recommend we should be reading, our listeners should be reading, anything that made an impact on them, their favorite books, something they've read recently, uh, maybe on the topic we discuss in the interview, things like that. And those recommendations, we are going to add them to our website with links to Amazon. So you're going to be able to just go straight from our website to the books that they recommend, and so I highly recommend that you go over there and check back at the website regularly for updates. We're going to be putting more stuff up there going forward, and so we're very excited about that. And those the the bookshelf,
2: it's primarily going to be based upon our guests, but we'll we'll throw Gentle and Lowly on there uh, because of this episode. We'll have that up there, and it's going to be listed according to episode number and uh, if there's a guest, we'll throw the guest name on there as well. That'll help you kind of see where things are at. It'll help you navigate a little better.
1: And if you haven't already, go follow us on social media as well. We're at youngbaptistpod on Instagram and Twitter. And so you'll get updates regularly through those uh, mediums as well if you haven't already followed us there. So Josh, we're going to start talking about the Baptist distinctives. We want to start by saying we're not experts on this stuff. Not by any stretch of We're the not Baptist historians. What we're trying to do is take these bigger doctrinal ideas And make them a conversational topic for everyday Christians.
2: Yeah, put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Right. You might
1: be a Baptist and not have heard much or any about the Baptist distinctives. These are the things that distinguish a Baptist from other denominational traditions that hold to Christianity. It's not the only things you need to believe. For example, the Baptist distinctive assumes you believe the gospel that you hold to the Christian gospel, that you're an Orthodox Christian. So then what are they for then, you're asking? Well, it's to distinguish our beliefs from other evangelical Orthodox Christians who are very different in the way they practice uh, Christianity in some of areas of belief and practice. So what are the Baptist distinctives? There are eight of them. Um, and you do need to believe them to be a historic Baptist. You know, what's regardless of what's on your church side <laughs> right. um or what Bible college you went to, you don't get to disregard these. Um there are people who maybe Waffling, or they're weak on one or two, and claim to be a Baptist, and you know I'm sympathetic to that, and we can disagree on how some of these are applied in some of the particular areas, but we don't just get to disregard whole sections of these uh, and still be considered a historic Baptist. Because um, if you do, then you're we need to be honest and and admit we're not Baptists, right? Because you're maligning the name and the reputation, and you're causing confusion um, on very important doctrines. So, for example, uh, you know, did you know, Josh, that United Pentecostals believe in baptism by immersion? I did not. So do Seventh-day Adventists? Believe it or not, Mormons believe in baptism by immersion. I did know that. Are Mormons Baptists, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> right. So you don't, the point is you don't get to pick and choose which of these you believe and still be a, a Baptist with any historical accuracy.
2: I like how Clarence Larkin defined being a Baptist in the book, Why I'm a Baptist. Uh, on page 69, he said, the Baptists hold that a scriptural church is a local congregation of baptized believers, independent of the state and of every other church, having in itself authority to do whatever a church can of right do and whose members are voluntarily associated under special covenant to maintain the worship, the truths, the ordinances, and the discipline of the gospel. I mean, I think that's just a perfect picture of what a a, a Baptist church yeah, looks like. Yeah, very concise, great quote. Josh, what are the distinctives? Okay, so you got your distinctives. And they are all, see, this is the beauty of being a Baptist. We love to eat and we get to use a lot of uh, acronyms (laughs) in everything that we do. Okay. And we love alliteration, but there's no alliteration today. Anyways, you've got biblical authority, which is what we're going to emphasize today. Mm -hmm. The autonomy of the local church, the priesthood of all believers, uh, some people switch the two T's up a little bit, but you've got two offices, that of the deacon and the pastor. There's individual soul liberty, saved membership, two ordinances being baptism in the Lord's Supper. And then the last S, some don't include the last S, we will, separation of church and state. And it all neatly spells... Baptists. Baptists.
1: And by the way, we were talking about not being experts. We'll add another book on our bookshelf as a great resource. If you would like to read from experts uh, on this subject, one great resource that was recommended to us that uh, I've been using for reference is the Baptist heritage by Macbeth. Um, So that's a good resource. If you want to learn more about the Baptist distinctives than what we can cover on this podcast. Uh, But we take these, we take this biblical authority For granted, this is the first Baptist distinctive, but we shouldn't take it for granted because we don't get any of the other distinctives without it. The power of the distinctives, all of them, unlike a lot of other traditions, they don't come primarily from our church traditions, but from the scripture. So we have to establish God's word as the final authority over tradition, over men's opinions, because the rest of the distinctives are based on God's word and not tradition. So a tradition is not necessarily a bad thing, but it should never be treated on a level with scripture when discussing these
2: things. Well, and believing biblical authority is, is it's truthfully a safeguard from, well, let me rephrase that. Believing and practicing real biblical authority is a safeguard from traditions and other things, usurping power that they don't, yep. they're, they're not biblically given. Yep. And taking us it, away from yeah, scripture. Yeah, in the, in the
1: Baptist church. So Josh, let's talk about definitions. What is biblical authority? Well, let's let's go to the scripture
2: first. You know, if we're going to believe in biblical authority, let's go to the scripture. And we're going to kind of have one verse as a text, 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. It says, "All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." Literally, everything that you need for doctrine, for instruction and in righteousness, it even says there for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction and in righteousness to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's all there in the Scripture. It's all right there as we need it,
1: and yeah, which is what you'll hear this doctrine referred to as the sufficiency of the Scripture. Yes, the, sufficiency the scripture, of scripture is enough to teach us what we need to know. And
2: and while there's the 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 topic of the Scripture and Bibliology, we could definitely go into a lot deeper. For now, let's leave it at the scripture is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. Amen. And the historic Baptist confessions, really from the get-go of each of those confessions, they make this known throughout that the scripture is sufficient. Like the scripture is the authoritative uh, rule for the Baptist church. And I have... Four different Baptist confessions. I'm going to read today because it's important when we look at our Baptist distinctives, our why we're a Baptist. We understand where we actually came from mm. and know that this isn't something that your favorite
1: preacher made up 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's not unique to your the Bible college you went to.
2: No, it, this is our roots are historic, and we can and trace them back to roughly the 1600s. Some of you probably won't appreciate that statement, but that's okay.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, it's these distinctives, particularly as codified in a, in a record. Yeah. It goes back to the 1600s. Josh, just for a second, if we could establish a confession for people who are not as familiar with historic confessions that Christians have written. They're just a, they're a group of Christians who put down in writing. It's almost like if your local church has a statement of faith. Yeah, This is what this is. It's historic groups of Christians who said it is important for us to establish the way we interpret the scripture on these important doctrines. And that's what we're referring to. And he, Josh said he's going to read from four of them. And it's important that we read from multiple of those sources because we want you to see, it's not just a one-off. It's not just, like he said, it's not just your pastor, but it's also historically not just one or two people. It is a rich history of Baptist doctrine.
2: And I'll throw this out there each of these confessions of faith, if you were to look them up, they all point back to the scripture. That's right. There is, at the end of each of these these segments that I'm going to read here in a minute, there is a list of scripture that they are wanting the reader to go back and to look. And we're not going to get into all those scriptures today. But I think it's important to note that even with these confessions, the purpose was to get the reader to look back at the word of God, the which is the final authority. So let's go ahead and jump right into them. You've got the London Baptist Confession of 1646, article number eight. It says, the rule of this knowledge, faith and obedience concerning the worship of God in which is contained the whole duty of man is not men's laws or unwritten traditions, but only the word of God contained in the Holy Scriptures in which is plainly recorded whatsoever is needful for us to know, believe, and practice, which are the only rule of holiness and obedience for all saints at all times in all places to be observed. That's pretty clear right there, just right out of the gate. Yep, The scripture is sufficient and it is our authority. Yep. Then you have the classic London Baptist Confession of 1689. It says, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable. Uh, Yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterward, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same holy underwriting which maketh the holy scriptures to be most necessary; those former ways of God's revealing His will unto His people being now ceased. Uh, that's 1689. Unfortunately, I jumped over one. I'm sorry. The the London Baptist Confession of 1660. Uh, This is article 23, that the Holy Scriptures is the rule whereby saints both in matters of faith and conversation are to be regulated. They being able to make men wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And then finally you got the Philadelphia Confession of Faith in 1742, chapter one, section one. It begins with the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Just historically speaking from these confessions, we as Baptists can conclude, historically, we have held to the position of biblical authority. It, It comes back to finding our authority in God's word. That's right. So we got the scriptures, we got a couple of confessions of faith, and then there's a few books that I was able to, Uh, check out that I think speak to this well. Also, you've got Baptist Beliefs by E.Y. Mullins. I don't know that we're going to link these on the bookshelf because these you can find online and read them for free. We'll put the link to the website where I read these at and you can access. There are thousands of books on there. Uh, But anyways, this is Baptist Beliefs by E.Y. Mullins. On page 10 and 11, it says, there are three marks which in a general way may be said to sum up the position of the scriptures in the belief of the Baptist. The first is sufficiency. The scriptures give us enough truth for all religious purposes. In the scriptures, we have all the truth required for the religious life of men. And then he says, the third quality of the scriptures is authoritativeness. The scriptures speak with authority as does no other literature in the world. Amen. Clarence Larkin, back to why I am a Baptist as we referenced earlier. He said, Christ Jesus is the sole lawgiver in spiritual things the word of God, the only authoritative guide in religious faith and practice. And then Henry Vedder in the book, The Baptist, he said, because of the authority thus recognized in Jesus Christ, Baptists receive the scriptures, the written word of Christ as the sole and sufficient rule of faith and practice. This is not a new thing, like we've been saying. Historically speaking, if you're gonna be a historical Baptist, you're gonna believe in biblical
1: authority. That's right, it's not an option. This, it, is, this is the king of the Baptist distinctives. And it's why it's first. And I think it's
2: worth noting at in the in the Baptist church specifically, since that's what we're talking about here. You know, we have programs, we do our things, but it's worth noting that in the Baptist church, it comes down at the end of the day. If there are no other programs, if there's if there's nothing else, you have the scripture. Yeah, we have God's word. Yeah. Because look, you can have church without programs, without classes you know, without singing, even though that would be terrible. Look, I mean, you can just name it. You can have it church without those things. You cannot have church without the Bible.
1: And all of those things are only powerful in so much as they incorporate and do a good job teaching God's word in our music and our programs and our classes and all of it. As being a Baptist, when you do church, you've got to ask yourself the question,
2: where am I getting this from? Yes, and it's the only reason I'm doing this. Is it just strictly pragmatic? And I'm not saying that there aren't moments when being pragmatic is a problem. I I don't think that can be can be useful. It can be beneficial, yep. but you have to ask yourself the question: Where am I getting this from? And this is true for anyone. If you're not a Baptist and you're listening to this, not sure how you got here because this is a Young Baptist podcast. <laughs> Welcome though. Welcome. We're glad you're here. But uh, <laughs> it's true of anyone outside of the Baptist tradition. How did you get? where you're going as a church. It has to come
1: back to the word of God. It and, is our authority. And I'm, I think it's good to say too here, this is why I'm a Baptist. Yeah, absolutely. This is why I believe in the Baptist tradition because they put such an emphasis historically on this. I mean, uh, and just to be clear, we, when we're talking about the scripture, we're talking about the words we believe the words of scripture are the words of God Amen. It's as if God is speaking to you as he spoke on Mount Sinai. That's right. It's as if Moses has come down with the tables of stone. Yeah. Right. You are, that's the same seriousness we give to the Bible that we hold in our hands. And we, we don't just believe these are the ideas of God. We don't just believe it's the concepts. We believe it is the words of God. That's as a, there is authoritative As God
2: is. And we we are not Baptists. I heard somebody say one time, I'm a Christian, but the reason I'm a Baptist is because why not go to heaven first class? No, (laughs) that is not why we're Baptists. There's so many problems with that statement, anyways. But (laughs) yes, we're not a
1: Baptist because we want to go to heaven, quote, first class. And it doesn't mean we think we're better than anyone, either. Absolutely not. We're just sinners saved by grace. We just happen to believe that these things are true and that these distinctives... And
2: we're not also suggesting that correct. our brothers and sisters who may be of other traditions don't think that the Bible is the final authority,
1: right? No, it's no because it's because the collection of all these distinctives that make us a Baptist. There yes. are other Christians, non-Baptists, who believe in the scripture as the final authority for Absolutely. all matters of faith and practice. That's That's correct. So the question now is, okay, so we've talked about all this. I mean, we've gone through all these quotes. We've gone through all this historical literature. Why is this important? That's the question we have to ask. And how can we fail this important Baptist doctrine? What does it look like to to practice this? Well, what it is when we fail, when we fall short of this is by no longer treating scripture as sufficient or not giving it supreme authority in your church. And I think there's two ways historically that we've seen this done. One is by devaluing God's words in some way. The second is by overvaluing or elevating other things in importance until it rivals the authority or the influence that the Bible has in your church. Um, So let me, let's go through some examples of this. The first example, let's talk about devaluing God's word, taking God's word not serious Mm -hmm. or as serious as we should. Um, The theological liberalism of the mid 20th century, for example. Sure. Um, The emergence of using other tools outside of scripture to influence our understanding of scripture they would say, well, yes, the Bible is generally true, but you know, it says a lot of outdated things. So we have to interpret the Bible and understand it in light of modern science. Well, that's, that's false, right? You know, because now science is what is true and the Bible is true where it lines up with science. Well, that's backwards. And you see this happen today as well. Uh, this theological liberalism hasn't gone anywhere. It happens all the time. You have pastors today who don't want to contradict the culture on, for example, sexual ethics. mm mm-hmm. So instead of just telling the truth, they subvert and they're dishonest about the clear teachings of Paul in Romans and Corinthians, uh, of the teachings in Genesis, even the words of Jesus in the gospels. And that's theological liberalism. Um, That's devaluing God's word, not taking God's words and the scriptures seriously. We're holding the truth of God's word subject to human feelings, human intellect, and academia.
2: Well, and to that point, I would say, if you are going to keep God's word as authoritative at some point, you're going to contradict the culture around you. It has
1: to. It has to. We're, we're sinners. So each culture has its its favorite sins, its favorite idols. Sure. So it doesn't matter what culture you're in. The, the Bible should be contradicting the culture at some point. Because Absolutely. men are sinners. Um, and so the other way to do this, as I mentioned, is to maybe not devalue God's word, but to overvalue other things, to elevate other things to the level of rivaling scripture in the church. Uh, our favorite example of this is Catholicism. Yeah. Um, They overtly say (laughs) that the tradition of the church and the words of the Pope when he's speaking ex cathedra are equal to the words of God himself. They just admit it. They just say it outright. They do not believe in biblical authority. And that's one very famous way that this is done. Another way this is done in the modern day, there's a new kind of um, fundamentalist, for example, let's call them the neo-fundamentalist or the hyper-fundamentalist who have elevated non-fundamentals to the level of fundamentals. Yeah. Um, and they've elevated non-scriptural preferences or traditions to the level of scriptural commands. The difference is they don't actually admit it like the Catholics do. <laughs> they don't just say, hey, this is, uh, this is scripture um, or this is as good as scripture. They don't admit that's what they're doing. So they practice, but they practice it very similarly. They search for uh, scriptures and find scant passages and obscure references cobble them together to teach things that the Bible doesn't say. So what they do is they claim it scripture instead of saying, Oh, we just got this other stuff that we elevate to scripture. They pretend that they have found scripture for it and misuse and manipulate scripture to teach things that it doesn't actually say. Now I want to be clear. There's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with the behaviors that they're trying to encourage. Sometimes some of the behaviors or some of the things they like or their preferences, there's nothing wrong with them. Sure. But it's an attack on the authority of scripture. To manipulate Bible verses or Bible passages to try to enforce behavior in a church that God's word has not mandated. Well, and
2: truthfully, both of those positions, theological liber- liberalism that you mentioned in this, this neo fundamentalism that we see, maybe we should just call it neo Catholicism. Uh, <coughs> Ouch. Uh, both of those equally devalue the word of God. That's right.
1: That's right. Yeah, the, the hyper fund the, or the neo fundamentalists are saying the actual fundamentals of scripture aren't enough. you also have to do all this other stuff, which which does de- which devalues it still mm-hmm. by equating man's ideas or traditions with God's word.
2: and I think honestly, you know you, you, we got to be careful. we don't want to paint with a super broad brush. I, I think that these people genuinely mean good,
1: sure or they even believe it.
2: yeah and but unfortunately I think at some point it tr- it steps over the line. It goes, it goes past, I think in their minds, it's like, I'm just trying to help people grow in grace. And that's, that's fantastic. But you got to make sure that you've not taken this, I guess almost it turns into a pragmatic desire to make people into the image of Christ into something that you want. And then you just take, the, take God's word and say, look, I know what the Bible says about this, but you got to do my list. These things too, Yeah.
1: Well, we're taking over the role of the Holy Spirit. We're not trusting the Holy Spirit to do the work of growing Christians. So we've added things to the Christian life that scripture hasn't added. I would add that I think a lot of the neo-fundamentalists learned these things from people who taught them and they've never critically examined them. So it could be that some of these things they don't even know aren't really taught in scripture. They've grown up believing that it was and they've just haven't examined it. And a lot of the stuff is just, it's not even wrong stuff. No, it's it's fine that you do it that way. It's just not mandated in scripture. Stuff like the decor at your church or what your pulpit is made out of. It's supposed to be made of wood, Clay. (laughs) (laughs) Or what fabric the pastor is wearing or whether he's wearing a tie. I mean, our pastor at our church wears a tie every Sunday. I almost never wear a tie. I've had, you know, one time I was at a, at a church meeting and somebody came up to me because I wasn't wearing a tie and said, nice tie, sarcastically. As, yeah, I've to heard that kind me. of stuff before. And my response was, thank you. Yeah. It's the one Jesus wore.
2: Yeah, <laughs> It's like me with my beard. I, I, there've been people in the past. Oh, make an issue of beard. Make an issue of beards. <laughs> well, how can you have a beard? What's this? I remember I was an inter- intern at a church and I had grown my beard out and this lady walked up to me and she like literally touched my face And was like, what is, what is all this? And I was like, this is my beard. (laughs) Like, whoa, hold on a
1: second. Back up. Jesus had one of these bad boys, you know? (laughs) No, and it's true. And like I, like we're saying, there's nothing wrong with not wanting a beard. There's nothing wrong with that. Or thinking it's better. There's nothing wrong with wearing a tie or using a a pulpit of wood or a plexiglass pulpit
2: or having purple lights.
1: Yeah. And we're, and, and what it is, I think what it boils down to is it, it, this is stuff that's not commanded in scripture. It's not legislated. And to pretend it is means you don't really believe in, bu- in biblical authority. Well, and Jesus had some things to say about these people who taught
2: for doctrines, the traditions of men.
1: That's right. That's right. You, so we don't believe in biblical authority when we do this. What we believe in is using scripture to make ourselves the authority. Where we think God has come short, we're gonna to try to manipulate scripture to institute all kinds of extra things. So where theological liberalism idolizes the trends of society, Neo fundamentalism idolizes the preferences of those in charge Mm. or some sort of newer tradition that the apostles didn't teach. And we'll talk about a lot of that more later on in the distinctives. Right. But 2 Peter 2 says a very important phrase. It says, No prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So, what that means is, I don't get to read God's word and say, I tell you it's saying this and you have to accept it. Mm. You have the right to as the Bereans did to Paul. Search the scriptures. Search the scriptures for yourself. And Paul, by the way, commended them. He didn't call them rebels. He was glad that they did those things. He said they were, they were better for that. Yeah, so, he said these were no,
2: more noble. More noble than those in
1: Thessalonica. Yep, because they didn't just accept what Paul said. They checked it against scripture. And so you have the right as a Christian. You have the Bible. You have God's word. And because we believe in biblical authority, you can study it. And you can look at the tradition of Christian history. Let me tell you something. If you believe stuff that nobody in Christian history has thought, except for you or your pastor and your friends, it's very likely it's not in the scripture and you've just come to those conclusions on your own. So it's it's important to re-examine the scriptures and make sure that we're lining up with it and allowing God's word to be the authority over, over anything else that we think. And
2: that's something I'm extremely thankful for our pastor on, is he said it from the pulpit a number of times. Don't just take my word for it. Go search the scripture yourself, study the Bible. And if it's not in there, he he said from the pulpit, if it's not in there, tell me. Mm. I wanna I wanna correct it. I'm th- I'm thankful for that. That's humility. That's saying I am under God's word. Well, and that's that's the thing about biblical authority. Is it truly is a sign of humility? Because what you're doing is you're saying I am not the authority on the matter. I'm yielding to the authority of another. And it's it's funny that it really is a sign of humility because when you really boil it down, who exactly are we to say? that we have any sort of authority over God's church because it's not our church, it's God's. And we we should have already yielded ourselves to that. But in our humanity, in our sinfulness, it's so easy to be filled up with pride and say, this is the way, walk ye in it. This is, let me say that again. This is my way, walk ye in it. Instead of saying, hey,
1: this is the way of the Lord. Yeah, you'll hear pastors say things like, my church will never do that. My people will never do that. That's a dangerous attitude, to yeah. have. It's God's people. It's God's church. Um, I'll just give you some crazy examples. I talked earlier about people who reject the Bible's teaching on sexual ethics. I had a long argument with a pastor of a church over homosexuality being a sin. There's a real church out there with a pastor who believes this. And he was trying to reason his way out of major Bible p- passages. That's theological liberalism. Yeah, That is devaluing God's word. I've heard things added to scripture. Have you... Have you ever heard of the curse of Ham?
2: I heard a, po- I heard a podcast episode on it.
1: <laughs> Genesis 9 talks about God cursing one of Ham's children. His name is Canaan. So it's the curse of Canaan, not the curse of Ham. This doctrine that appears nowhere in scripture is cobbled together by pulling together unrelated passages from around scripture to try to... And, and by the way, historically, this argument was used to justify slavery. This is the kind of thing you get into when you're not just resting on what the scripture clearly teaches and you're trying to ground up some concoction of scriptures that fits what you want to do. Another good example of this is, it's not a good example, it's a bad example, is 1 John 2.19. Have you, I know you've heard this. (laughs) Well, I'm gonna get into hot water here. He says in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us because they were not of us. That's right. They they left their local congregation
2: and went to another church.
1: Yeah, that's not what he's saying. Is it? <laughs> oh, but that gets used to say, oh, because he says if they were of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. That is not talking about a Christian who leaves one congregation and goes to another Orthodox Christian church. It's not even talking about somebody who leaves a Baptist church and goes to a different denomination. It says in verse 18, this, that's verse 19 I just quoted. Verse 18 says they're antichrists. These are people who were never saved. He says that in the text. And then in verse 22, he says that they have denied the father. They've, they've denied the son because, or they've denied the father because they denied that Jesus was the son of God. So that is the context. First John 2, 19 is not talking about Christians Mm. who trust in Christ for salvation. And I have repeatedly heard this used, applied to Christians Mm. who disagree on secondary, third tier issues and make decisions to associate in a different way. This is not taught, this is talking about non-Christians who are the enemies of the church. This is not talking about other believers in Christ. Captain context strikes again. (laughs) <laughs> so anyways, the, the, the point is the distinctives, none of the other ones matter if we don't get this one because where's the authority for any of it? We have to read the Bible the way it was intended to be read. Apply it the way it was intended to be applied. It matters who was speaking. Who were they speaking to? What exactly did they say? And when in doubt, stay close to the biblical text. Study more. And when not in doubt, stay close to the biblical text.
2: <laughs> yes and study more <laughs> I'm into
1: that. So if you feel, and I think there's another way of doing this too, if I could belabor this just a moment. There's another way of not believing in biblical authority. Maybe you don't teach for doctrine, the commandments of men, but maybe you spend so much time in church talking about personal opinions or preferences that it takes away from the influence of scripture. So we're not here to learn about the, the ever-changing temporary feelings or, or opinions of man. We're here to learn the everlasting words of God. Yeah, And so- There is a place for elders in church to teach people how to apply scripture. You know, 1 Peter 5 says that they're examples to the flock. So there is a place for elders in a church to say, hey, this is a way that I've applied this scripture in my life and I've seen God's blessing from it. Why? Because that's it being an example, that's discipleship. So sure, I'm all for that. But to focus so much on those applications that aren't exactly spelled out in scripture and treat them as authoritative or to spend such an inordinate amount of time talking about them instead of scripture, you're giving more weight, more influence, and more airtime to non-scripture. That, that's not biblical authority in practice.
2: And I've noticed in my own study when I'm preparing to preach, if I've done the work, if I've actually done the study in the scripture, there's really not gonna be much time to get into my opinions or any sideshow stuff because man, the, the Bible has plenty to
1: say in and of itself. Oh yeah, without having to sprinkle my opinion into it. It's difficult to teach the whole counsel of God. There's so much to talk about in scripture. Why would we spend so much time talking about other things?
2: And you hear of pastors who they go their whole pastoring career preaching through the Bible. And they're like, I still have so many books to get through. You can't plumb the depths of the words of God. I mean, you, you can't do it. And then if you start sprinkling your opinion in on everything, you're never going to get to things that Frankly, your people need to hear because the scripture doesn't say anywhere that your pastor's opinion is going to change your life. It probably will, unfortunately, because most of us really just were not grounded deeply in the word of God to where we can just solely focus on God's word, see it as the authority and
1: look at our pastor as someone guiding us towards that truth. If I could quote Jared Wilson here. Yeah. He said someone came up to him and said, you're the preacher? And he said, yes. And they said, so you're the guy with all the answers. And he said, no, I'm the guy who
2: points to that guy. And I think you come up with that, come to that kind of a response with that kind of an attitude because you understand the scripture is sufficient. Jesus is enough. His context and his setting in his church, he wanted people to understand at the end of the day, it's all about Christ
1: and the word of God. That's right. So to wrap up, Josh, we've, Talked about why what this doctrine is. We've talked about a lot of fallacies around it. It's important because if you don't believe it the way historical Baptists have, if you don't believe in the historical Baptist doctrine of biblical authority, you get you can get into theological liberalism where you're scared to say what God's word says because you're appealing to human understanding, human feelings, and human reasoning, and that'll get you in trouble. And you'll also get it. Into it as well when you get into a neo-fundamentalist mindset and you add things that scripture doesn't say and expect and legislate and treat as normative, all kinds of things God's word doesn't say. Um, Josh, when God's word says says something, don't you think it's because God meant to say it? Mm, Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And when he doesn't say things, do we think it's because he forgot? Mm, That's good, Clay. No. That's good. Uh, So biblical authority is important because what is the doctrine of biblical authority in a nutshell? it says god wrote a book hmm. it is sufficient and it's authoritative as our text said today the man of god can be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works so are you a baptist then you believe in biblical authority
2: or you should you definitely should <laughs> or and you it's, should it's important just once again because biblical authority it gives your preaching it gives your ministry Authority that is solid and unchanging. It takes it really. It takes pressure off of you. It really does, amen. Because you're you're saying, hey, look, I'm just saying what God said here. We're going where God said to go in His Word. And man, it just takes it takes all the pressure. It takes all the pressure off of you.
1: Well, Josh, this has been great, man. It really has. I mean, wow, this is fun, fun. (laughs) What an important topic and what an important doctrine. Hey, if you have questions, reach out to us on social media. Send us a direct message. Leave us a comment. We would love. To talk more. Or you can email us at oh, yeah. the Young Baptist Podcast at
2: gmail.com. We have an email address. Uh, send us an email. It's right there on our website. Fill out the contact
1: form. We'd love to get in touch with you. On the note of biblical authority, we have an interview. Yes, our second interview. Our second ever interview is next episode, two weeks from today. Two weeks from the time you're listening to this. Yeah. It is going to be coming out on February the 22nd. Pastor Brian Sams. Pastor Brian Sams. River We're gonna, City Baptist Church, Jacksonville, Florida. Yes. We're going to be interviewing him on the topic of biblical authority and specifically, how does biblical authority play itself out in very practical ways in our churches and in our Christian lives? Yes, We're so, very excited about that. So mark it
2: down. Dr. Pastor Brian Sams <laughs> will be with us. Yes. February 22nd. You do not want to miss that episode. It's going to be amazing. And you know, Clyde, before we, before we sign off here, we just kind of want to, Give a quick shout out to the guys over at the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast and our RFP fam. Mm. We have the privilege to be part of the network, the Recovering Fundamentalist Network. Man, those guys are awesome. We know a lot of you uh, who are listening today probably came here uh, from hearing them, and we we're super thankful that you're listening. Brian, Nathan, and JC—they're an encouragement and a yes. been a blessing and a help to us. We just want to say thank you, guys, for including us in the family.
1: Yeah, we're 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 so grateful for them, their mentorship, and their encouragement. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Clay, what do you think, man?
2: Sola Scriptura. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Thank
0: you for listening to this episode of The Young Baptist Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Young Pod, And check out our website at TheYoungBaptistPodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you consume the content. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on The Young Baptist Podcast.